you get those peepers? Jeepers, creepers. Where'd you get those eyes? Hi, guys. Welcome to Crime Colts and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Bryn. And today, I wanted to start off with some exciting news about what's happening next week. What is happening next week? We are doing our annual giveaway. So excited. We (laughs) do this every Halloween, and people have been asking for it. And if you don't know what this is, get ready. It's going to be so good this year. We have so many amazing small businesses that donated their products and, you know, stuff that they sell. And I really want it, but I can't win. I know. That's the struggle every year. I'm like, how can I win this stuff? Oh, I can't. I know. (laughs) Like, we can rig it for us to win, but then it would be pointless. But no, I'm (laughs) really excited about it. Basically, it's going to run, we'll announce it next week, and it'll run all the way up until Halloween, and that's when the winner will be picked. And whoever's the winner, you're a lucky bitch. You lucky, lucky bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Or we should say, you lucky, lucky witch. Yes, it's a spooky-themed giveaway, so get ready. Yeah, and we will make sure that in next week's episode, we announce all the small businesses participating in the giveaway. Yep. So get ready for that. Also something exciting to get ready for. We are thinking that along with this giveaway, next week our new merch will be released. I'm thinking it's going to ha- it's going to happen. Yeah, we're putting it out there. We have some of the stuff already, but we are just waiting on a couple more things in order to have all of our merch ready for you and ready to put onto the site. So we didn't want to do a little bit at a time. We want to make sure that we are fully stocked. Yeah, we're prepping everything this weekend. So hopefully next week is when we have every last piece of the merch. So it can sell out very quickly. (laughs) Yeah, as of right now, it's a limited thing. But if it does really well, maybe we will look into getting more of the same stuff. Yep. We kind of wanted to just try it out and put feelers out there and see how everyone likes it yeah the merch you can purchase through our instagram store we have a storefront on the instagram or if you go to the link in our bio the website where you can purchase the merchandise is going to be in there and it's actually through riot babes website which is also Bryn's business yeah thank you so there is a category on the riot babe website for crime cults and coffee podcast and you can find all of our merch through that section of the website and just wanted to throw it out there too that we only have really like seven mugs left so maybe some lucky people also get their hands on a mug yep so uh, check it out and buy some stuff yeah and do you have anything else you want to talk about i do i finally started handmaid's tale the new season i've been binging and holy shit (laughs) <laughs> I haven't yet, so don't spoil anything. I'm not going to say anything. It's just such a roller coaster of emotions. As it is every season. And it, this one makes me like, I guess I shouldn't say especially mad compared to the other seasons, but it is so fucking frustrating. Oh no, don't tell me that. I know. You have to watch. I'm recommending it to everyone. If you haven't watched Handmaid's Tale ever, you must live under a rock. But if you have and you haven't started the new season, start it right now. 
I have one more thing that I wanted to mention show-wise and then something else I wanted to mention coffee-wise before we get started. Okay. So we have mentioned in the past that we have had multiple people that have mentioned watching The Watcher to us. Yes. We had someone reach out again, shout out Emma, this week about watching The Watcher. (laughs) And I finally started it. Did you yet? No. Oh my gosh. No, you started without me. Okay. Okay. I started it and so far I am not a fan. No. Why? Yeah. I am not a fan. What? I I was briefly talking about this actually yesterday to some girls in the studio that I go to. Everyone was asking each other if they've seen it. And the thing I really don't like about it so far is that it's called The Watcher, but it isn't strictly about The Watcher case. What? Which can be really confusing to people who don't know the story of the Watcher because they might think that this is now the story and it's not. They incorporated like two other cases so far within the Watcher series. What the hell? Yeah, like they basically, you know, the case of John List? Yeah. They incorporated that into the Watcher and just gave people different names. What the fuck? Yeah, so that was kind of disappointing to me because I'm like, wait, I thought this was going to be about what happened with The Watcher. Which is an amazing story in itself. Yeah, and so far it's not strictly that story. And people, like I said, people who don't know the case aren't going to know that. So I don't know. I mean, the acting's been good so far, but aside from that, I am a little disappointed. (laughs) (gasps) Shit, my heart is broken. Yeah, yeah, that was something we were looking forward to as well, so that kind of stunk. Wow. But other than that, the other thing I wanted to mention was Barista Parlor Coffee, who we have reviewed in multiple episodes of ours. Emily recently reached out to us from there, and she's the really, really awesome girl that we've spoken to through them. Mm -hmm. Right. And she sent us an email saying that she sent over a Halloween coffee blend for us. Shut up. Yeah, so that should be arriving soon because she's been listening to our podcast, and she's like, you guys need to try this coffee. I'm sending it over to you. Shut the fuck up. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. So thank you, Emily. Thank you, Barista Parlor. We absolutely love you. We had all intentions of purchasing this coffee from you on our own. So now we're going to have to go ahead and purchase something else from you. Oh, my God. They are just so kind and go. We've mentioned in other episodes, they've gone above and beyond with supporting our podcast. And yeah, this is just another thing that they've done for us. (laughs) Oh my God, that's the sweetest thing. Thank you so much, Emily. Yeah, so I just wanted to make sure to mention that. I do have one more thing since we tell everybody on the podcast everything about our lives. I have a life update. Okay, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) I assisted in my first C-section today. Oh my god, that is incredible. How did it, it go? So cool. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life, I think. I don't know. I loved every minute of it. It was an emergency C-section, so it was crazy, but I loved it so much. Oh, it was honestly the coolest thing. How was the cute little babe? It was so he was so cute. I got to hold him after. Oh. How was, rewarding. It was so rewarding. And it was like one of the craziest things ever. And it's like, once you see that for the first time, yeah, it was so cool. 
Oh my gosh, that's incredible, Kels. I'm so Yeah. happy for you. Thank you. It was <laughs> what a nice Halloween <laughs> treat. I know, right? Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was awesome. I want to do more though. oh, good. I'm glad you, I'm sure you will. Do you have any life updates? No, just I'm loving on my kittens and that's about it. Cool. Well, Yeah. get into our coffee then. Yeah, let's do that. So do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So when I talked to you on the phone earlier, we were talking about what we were going to do for coffee today. And I totally forgot that I had bought a Nespresso pod, a new one. So Okay. I do that one. And this is so unlike me because I despise anything pumpkin flavored, but I'm like, you know what, maybe my taste buds have changed. And I should try it and get in the Halloween spirit. So I picked up the pumpkin spice cake and it's the Nespresso. It's a limited edition pod. Do you fucking hate it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not a fan. That's <laughs> just shocker. I know. So it says the aromatic profiles, warm spices, and the notes are pumpkin spice cake and clove. I think it's the clove. It's just, it's not doing it for me. I like the smell of clove, but I don't like the taste of it. I don't think my taste buds have changed. I feel like that's a common theme with you is when it's heavy <laughs> on the clove, you don't like it. yeah, I'm not a clove gal. All in all, it's a pretty good coffee. I just, I wouldn't choose this flavor. Maybe if you liked pumpkin spice as a human, you would enjoy it. I know, I know. Maybe I should try it and be like, no, you're fucking crazy. It's delicious. But <laughs> I don't know. I think it's pretty smooth. It's not very bitter and it's not very like watered down. I'd probably give it like a, a six. A six coming from someone who doesn't <laughs> like pumpkin spice isn't that bad. yeah, I mean, Nespresso, you should take that into consideration. <laughs> That's a six. <laughs> Props. Not that. shit about my my opinion about their pumpkin spice cake but Yeah, they're like, bitch, we make so much money. I know they're like who is this girl And ha and more than half <laughs> the population probably loves pumpkin spice. I know they're like you need to get on the bandwagon I'm a creature of habit and I won't do it again <laughs> there <laughs> you go. You learned your lesson. I learned my lesson So the coffee that I chose to review today, since sadly we had to do separate coffees because I'm an asshole and forgot to, I'm recording from somewhere I usually don't record and I forgot to bring my coffee with me. Yeah, so just an FYI, all of you amazing people that have sent us coffee, we have it. <laughs> we, we do. Bryn <laughs> just sucks. no. So the coffee that I'm reviewing today is from Duncan. Lovely. I love <laughs> it. it's great. I actually hate that <laughs> so much. <laughs> I've mentioned in other podcast episodes, I'll drink Duncan if I have to. I usually drink it most mornings because it's on my way to work, but I've drank it so much over a lifetime that I'm honestly sick of it. And I would totally prefer... local coffee shops and roasters as opposed to a franchise like Dunkin' or Starbucks. Right. Between the Dunkin' and Starbucks, Starbucks is elite. It's supreme. Mm. You like Dunkin' coffee better than Starbucks, who... No, I didn't say that. I'm just not a, really a fan of either. Oh, my God. Well, if I had to choose between the two, definitely Starbucks. I shouldn't say elite or supreme because it's really not that great. But between Yeah, it's the not two... fucking Jessica Lang from AHS Coven. <laughs> What?
It's not Jessica Lang from American Horror Story. Come in. Oh, Supreme. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is this correlation? <laughs> Come on, Kelsey. Get with the program. Supreme. Okay, I get it now. <laughs> I wouldn't choose either. I'd choose like a local coffee shop. But between the two, Starbucks is so much better than Dunkin'. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. When Duncan has its brown sugar cold brew with cold foam, that's my ultimate fave. And I can I can drink that without complaining about it. But anyway, getting back to the point. Today, <laughs> the coffee that I chose to review from them is an iced peanut butter cup macchiato with oat milk. It is okay. I think it has become my new go-to as of today because I'm not a fan of anything else they have right now mm-hmm. because the brown sugar cold brew is gone (laughs) again they really just need to add that to their permanent menu but they haven't I don't like their pumpkin coffee at all so I think that my only complaint with this peanut butter macchiato is it's not the peanut butter isn't strong enough for me in it okay like I taste unless it's just the amount they put in I taste a hint of it there But it's not like, oh, this tastes like peanut butter coffee. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because I literally got this for the first time last weekend. And I don't know if it was the coffee was burnt or something, but it did not taste at all peanut buttery. Like it tasted more mocha-y. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad by any means. I would probably rate this coffee for a coffee from Dunkin'. Maybe a seven, but it's drinkable. It's smooth. It doesn't fully taste like peanut butter. Yeah, I got that too. Yeah. But without further ado, should we get into our episode since we're 15 minutes in? (laughs) Do it. (laughs) All right. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. Okay, so today's case was suggested by listener Alyssa. Again, thank you so much, Alyssa. It's so funny. She actually texted me and a whole list of some more suggestions. And she's like, this one was a trick or treat, a Halloween murder. And I thought of you and I immediately said I had to send it to you guys for Halloween. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Alyssa. I think you're our top runner right now for case suggestions. And not only did she send one, she sends like five at a time. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. (laughs) She's (laughs) in the running with Ashley at the moment. Right. Her and Ashley. We should have a trophy. (laughs) (laughs) Most listener suggestions. Yeah. So today's case is about Peter Fabiano. And just a little background. He was 35 years old at the time, and he was the owner of two local hair salons that were very successful. He was also his wife's hairstylist. He served in World War II as a Marine. His wife's name was Betty Fabiano, and she was 36 years old at the time. She had red hair. The couple had met in the late 1940s after Betty had gone through a divorce. It wasn't really mentioned how long after the divorce her and Peter had met but it happened after she had gotten divorced. And Betty had two teenage kids from her previous marriage when she met Peter. According to census data from 1950, when Peter and Betty married, they originally lived in Kingston, New York. In New York, Peter worked as a truck driver. And then in 1956, they moved to Los Angeles the year before this all happened. This story took place in Sun Valley, California, where Peter and Betty lived. So just keep in mind this whole 
story was in California. They literally moved across the country. Yeah, literally from New York to California. So moving on to Halloween night of 1957. After 11 p.m., the doorbell rang at the Fabiano home. And as one can imagine, Peter was slightly annoyed as it was late. He was already in bed. And then he had to, like, get up and go over and get the door. Yeah, 11 p.m. is a little late for trick-or-treaters. I'd be pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to be that type of person that has, you're going to go outside and, like, give kids candy? Are you going to be, like, the one that has a bucket that says, take one? Well, I was just going to say, actually, I lied. I would not be pissed because if I got one trick-or-treater at my house that came at 11 o'clock at night, I'd be happy since I don't get trick-or-treaters. You get none on your street? I get zero. Oh, my God. I know. It's really sad. And I would definitely be the person greeting at the door dressed up full Halloween costume. Oh, my God. That sucks. Yeah. I hope in our new apartment we get little trick-or-treaters, but I doubt Uh... it. Oh, I hope so. There's so many kids. I think we're planning on doing like a trunk or treat or something for them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like every year I still buy a big bag of candy in hopes. And Timo's always like, why are you buying this? We don't get trick-or-treaters. And then you eat it until like Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So according to articles, trick-or-treaters had stopped coming by the Fabiano home hours before. So Peter walked down his front steps and approached the trick-or-treater. The trick-or-treater was described as follows, quote, a grotesque, garishly painted face with a domino mask and men's clothing, and that was quote-unquote men's clothing, blue jeans, a khaki jacket, and red gloves, and that was a quote from the vintagewomanmagazine.com. Peter said something along the lines of, quote, It's a little late for this, isn't it? I could just hear him. I know. And the trick-or-treater replied, no, and shot Peter Fabiano in the chest. That is so horrifying. Just point blank was like, all right, no, and then just shot him. I don't understand. This person had been concealing a gun within a paper trick-or-treat bag that they were carrying. Oh, my God. Which is even more evil- Because you're taking this innocent thing and this trick-or-treat bag to collect candy in and hiding a weapon in it. And not only that, it's like trick-or-treat. And of course, in 1957, no one's going to assume that there's a gun in a trick-or-treating bag. Their voice was also described as being disguised and purposefully deeper. Betty ran to the door where Peter was after hearing the gunshot. The shot had also woken up her daughter, Judy. The murderer was already gone by the time she got to the door, and Peter was bleeding out, and a pool of blood surrounded him. So the murderer was able to get out really quickly. Meaning they probably had a getaway car. Right. Betty's daughter, Judy, then ran to the neighbor's home for help. The neighbor was a police officer and called the Valley Police Department. Well, that was convenient. Yeah, at first when I was reading it, I was like, obviously not questioning someone's actions during a situation like this, but I was like thinking, oh, did they not have a house phone? Kind of why did she have to run to the neighbors? But then once it was described as them being a police officer, I totally, it it made complete sense. Right, like just immediately was like, okay, they live next door, they can help. Yeah. 
Peter was rushed to the Sun Valley Hospital and pronounced dead from his wound. The bullet had lodged beneath his heart. Ugh. This soon became known as the trick-or-treat murder. That's just so sad. Like, all around sad. It's devastating, and it's awful that this one shot took his life. He couldn't have gotten shot in the arm, and the person ran away, and they thought they killed him but didn't. Like, it actually killed this man. Right, I know. I wish it was something that was less fatal, and he could have survived at least. But, no, it took one shot to kill him. So, on to the investigation. There was only one witness to the shooting, of course, aside from Betty and Judy that heard the gunshot. A teen saw a car speeding out of the neighborhood, so that was the witness. Betty told police that she thought two people were at the front door, and she said she thought it might be two men with one pretending to be a woman. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if she mistook... Peter speaking, even though she should know her own husband's voice, as a man talking to another man. Because there was never anyone else speaking according to what was believed to be said. Right. So I wonder where that came from, or if we just don't know the full conversation that occurred. Yeah. No shells were left from the gun, and it had not been a robbery, as nothing was taken from the home or Peter. So clearly part of the investigation, you're thinking, okay, like what was the motive here? It clearly wasn't a robbery. Police originally questioned if it could be a gang hit, but nothing really validated that further and police quickly eliminated that theory. The only record Peter had was a misdemeanor charge in 1948 for bookmaking. Betty had also given a name when asked if Peter had any enemies and she said Joan Rabel. Wow. Yeah. So, like, the one person, you're like, okay, who could be involved in this? And she said, Joan, that was the only person. That's crazy that she was able to just throw out a name like that. Right. She she knew her husband. So, on to the suspects. Joan Rabel is the first suspect. 1917, she was born in Philadelphia, PA. However, this is questionable as newspaper articles at the time reported that she was originally from Lithuania. Just keep that in mind. She was a writer and a photographer. Everything outside of this before meeting the Fabianos is described as being shrouded in mystery. And that was in quotes. So her life before the Fabianos was not very well known. That's crazy. That's very sketchy. Yeah, and I had read in one of the articles that they the born in Philadelphia thing that basically came from she would travel to Hawaii a lot and on one of her passports or some kind of information that she had to provide, she wrote she was born in Philadelphia, PA. So it sounds like she was trying to hide something and kept going to different places in order to make that happen. Yeah, and I wonder how it was discovered that she was originally from Lithuania, if that's the case. Right. And why she's trying to falsify that information. Really weird. Yeah. In 1957, she went to one of Peter's salons looking for work. She had gotten divorced and wanted a new job. Joan and Betty became friends, and she was welcomed into the Fabiano home. Peter and Betty allegedly had problems with their marriage, and Betty at some point moved in with Joan. 
So they were so close. They became so close so quickly that she felt comfortable moving in with Joan when her and Peter were having problems. I get that, you know? Yeah. Peter was threatened by their relationship and how close they became. An LA Times article described the pair's relationship as quote-unquote abnormal, which in the 1950s was basically referring to the relationship being homosexual. And it just shows how bad times were back then and how politically incorrect it is to even go and say that. That's so fucking awful. Yeah. It's just horrible. That's absolutely disgusting that they used that terminology to describe the relationship between two people. Fucked up. Eventually, Betty wanted to try to save her marriage, and she told Peter about her relationship with Joan and agreed never to see her again. So part of Peter's conditions of allowing this marriage to have a second chance was that Betty would never see, speak to, or contact Joan again. Okay, so I could see that going two ways. Mm -hmm. Either he went way overboard and was controlling and literally just didn't want her to have any kind of friendship with this woman who might know the ins and outs of their relationship. Mm -hmm. Or he actually had legitimacy in feeling this way if they were actually in a relationship because clearly you wouldn't want your significant other still seeing someone that they were intimate with. Right, and that's kind of where I took it as... But I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. In 1957, Joan met Goldine Pizer. They became friends quickly and spent a lot of time together. Goldine was also gay, and she said she spent her life suppressing her feelings as she was married to Herbert Crome in 1944. At this time of the story, she had recently divorced him. That is so sad that there's all these women having or people in general having to hide who they were and who they actually wanted to love it is just so heartbreaking that the times back then and even i mean it's better now thankfully but not fully where we should be it's just it's so sad that people couldn't live the way they wanted to because of society yeah and i love that name goldine i know it's kind of cool it's really cool (laughs) i'm a fan of old-fashioned names are you gonna name your child that now (laughs) one day joan expressed to goldine that her boss peter was quote-unquote evil she said that she was heartbroken that betty went back to her husband and she wanted revenge on him for that she claimed that peter was abusive and controlling towards betty and the allegations of abuse had never been substantiated so take that as you will which is why i kind of threw in there before that opposing side of where he could have been coming from with not wanting her to see Joan. Right. And like, who knows what Betty had told Joan about her relationship with her husband at the time. I feel like Joan kind of took this overboard and maybe was embellishing a little bit on the situation. But who knows what Betty had really told her and, you know, while she was living with her about their relationship. Right, like that could have been the case where she was in an abusive situation or Peter could have just been thrown in the crosshairs with this whole thing and basically Joan's just kind of running with it because she wants a relationship with Betty. Right, she's upset, of course, probably heartbroken. Yeah, jealous, Mm -hmm. crazy, who knows. Yeah. So Goldine Pizer, a little bit about her. 
She was 40 years old at the time of the story. She also had reddish hair like Betty. She was a laboratory technician at Los Angeles Children's Hospital. Another article had said that she was a medical secretary. So take that either way. Again, this is from the 1950s, so there could be deferring information here. She could have also been both at some point. Right. Goldine lived in a bungalow near the Sunset Strip, and this was one mile from Joan's home in Hollywood, so they lived very close to each other. Goldine was friends with Joan for three years, but became close right after Betty and Peter got back together. So I feel like Joan was, like, shifting her energy to somebody new. Yeah, for maybe more reasons than one. Yeah. Moving on to the investigation, on November 16th, Joan was arrested and brought in for questioning. She said she had nothing to do with the murder and that she was home all night. She pointed to her car parked outside to kind of prove that she had her car had been parked in the driveway all night. I'm sorry, but that is... I I thought that was so funny. Like, oh, look, it's been out there the whole night. Yeah, I thought so, too, because I was like, wait, there was no CCTV. Right. Like, like, who the fuck saw it out there all night? Yeah. And even if she was like, oh, feel it. It's cooled down. The engine hasn't run in a while or whatever. You could have left at like eight o'clock that night and the cops are at your house 10 o'clock the next day. It's not going to be hot. And her immediate reaction, look, my car was here the whole time. I could just see it. (laughs) (laughs) that's so strange (laughs) i thought it was so funny when questioning joan's friends though it was discovered that she lied and borrowed margaret barrett's car to drive about 37 miles that night caught you're busted joan red-handed bitch (laughs) and i i also thought it was funny that margaret barrett knew her mileage on her car to be like she drove approximately 37 miles more i thought the same shit i'm like who kept track of it it's like her husband has like a log book he's like who put these 37 miles on (laughs) i just ruled it out as maybe things were different back then and you had to do that to drive because you didn't have google maps (laughs) maybe right like who knows so when questioned about this joan said that she went for a quick ride to get groceries but that she did not quote unquote pull the trigger like what i also wondered when reading that was that information released or did she just literally fuck herself over by saying pull the trigger right that's what i mean like did she know that the information that the police like i'm so confused Yeah, I wish they released a little more about that side of things. Right, she just kept digging herself a hole. Yeah, she's like, feel my car. (laughs) I didn't pull the trigger. (laughs) Feel my car. I went to get groceries. I didn't pull the trigger. (laughs) (laughs) Just in panic mode. She's like, want to crump it? Yeah, right. And they're like, what the fuck, Joan? You want some tea? (laughs) Authorities released Joan as they had no evidence, even though I think... She was kind of digging herself a hole there, like we just said. Most articles say two weeks later, while one says one month later. So we'll just say a couple weeks later. (laughs) An anonymous tip led cops to a rented locker in a department store. Inside was a 38 caliber pistol, a 38 Smith & Wesson to be exact. What are you doing hiding that in a department store locker? That's, like, the strangest place 
I could have thought of a million other places to hide a gun, but inside a a department store locker. That's so strange. This whole thing, all these decisions are so strange. Not that I would ever hide a gun, just to clarify, but (laughs) so. This 38 Smith & Wesson was confirmed to be the murder weapon. Ugh. The sale of the weapon was reviewed and was discovered to belong to Goldine Pizer. Oh my god. It just gets crazier. So, Goldine confessed to pulling the trigger, but she said it was not her fault. From what I was reading in articles, they basically said they sat her down, asked her, like, one question, and she was, like, just word vomiting. Like, I did it all. Like, let me get this off my chest. Yeah. She said that another woman had cast a spell on her and she was powerless. That's one way to put it. A love spell, maybe. Maybe. She said that during the time of her and Joan's relationship, she called Peter, quote, vile and evil and destroying everything around him. Still not a reason to kill somebody, but okay. Goldine said, quote, she said he mistreated his wife and that he was dealing narcotics. She told me that he was always bothering her at home. And that's a quote from nydailynews.com. Peter soon became all that the women talked about and she was convinced he was evil to his wife and children. Oh my God. Yeah. And I can see like that being like a little bit of a brainwashing too, you know, maybe oh, for sure. exaggerating, for sure. you know? Yeah, for sure. Especially if she was completely infatuated with this woman, not that it's an excuse, but she's probably buying into her bullshit and right. who knows how much of a con artist this Joan was so Mm -hmm. she could have easily been manipulated into thinking that this man was pure evil but why she thinks she had to take it upon herself to murder him is another situation so as stated in the new york daily news article quote joan and i discussed killing fabiano many times we were undecided whether we should use poison a knife or a gun ugh so it was clearly premeditated and planned out, which is fucked up. Mm-hmm. With the money Joan provided Goldine, she purchased a revolver in Pasadena, saying she needed it for protection, and she only bought two shells. So was this woman practicing that she thought she had a good shot? Or was she just like... I think I'll only need, like, she was so inexperienced that she's like, one will probably do it. Might as well get two for backup. That's the thing that really blows my mind about this whole case. And as we mentioned before, how he only died from one gunshot wound. Yeah. Like, how did she have the accuracy to hit him? Right where he needed to be hit. Yeah, unless she was that close range since she he thought she was a trick-or-treater, which could right. be the case. She might have been, like, right next to him. Like, right in front of him. Yeah. She figured that on Halloween night, while everyone was dressed in disguise, this would be the perfect time to commit the murder. Joan brought Goldine into the hair salon a few times in October so she would know what Peter looked like. Oh my god, that's so creepy. That is so fucked up. Other sources say they drove by the home weeks before the murder, so she was kind of like prepping her for it. Ugh. So on to the night of the murder. During a three-month time frame, Joan had talked Goldine into killing Peter. 
Joan showed up at Goldine's house in the car that she borrowed from her friend. Goldine's costume was in a paper bag, and it was a pair of jeans, a khaki jacket, a hat, and red gloves. There was also a domino mask and face paint disguised her face. The gun was hidden in the paper bag, as we would mentioned above. They then drove to the Fabiano's house and arrived at 9 p.m. Ew. That is so fucking creepy. They were literally just lurking and scouting them out for weeks and that night. This was so planned. It's disgusting. They waited for two hours until the lights in the bedroom went out when they were like, okay, now it's time. Joan literally said, quote, all right, let's do it. Oh it sounds so casual and disgusting the way she said it. Yeah. Meanwhile, she's not even the one doing it. Right. She's just having Goldine do all her dirty work. She's literally using her. Goldine put on a mask and rang the doorbell twice. Peter Fabiano then opened the door. Goldine was trembling so badly that she could barely hold the gun. And this is a quote from Goldine. Quote, I had to use the left hand to hold the right hand in order to pull the trigger. Because she was shaking so much. I feel so bad for Peter. It's just horrible. She then ran back to the car and Joan kissed her and said, quote, thank you. Ew. Like, it's just so casual from Joan. She's like a sociopath. Yeah, Joan is definitely a sociopath. She's disgusting. There's no remorse, no empathy, nothing. They dropped off the car back at Barnett's house and left the khaki jacket in the car. This is a quote from Joan, quote, forget you ever knew me. And she said this as she left Goldine walking away on foot. So not only did she use Goldine to commit a murder for her, but then she was just like, all right, bye. Never talk to me again. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this for me. Kisses her and then is like, forget about me. That's it. That's the end of this relationship. Thank you. The next morning, Goldine realized that Joan never told her what to do with the gun. Goldine burned the rest of the costume that night, and then she decided to bring the gun to Bullock's flagship store and put it in a locker where the other bullet was also kept. Weeks later, we're then caught back up to where the detectives found the gun and questioned Goldine. Both women were subsequently arrested. That is there's like no words for how terrifying this is because of how planned out it was so planned out so terrifying like the whole thing is just it's so intertwined with different relationships too it's i don't know so scary i should reword what i said because it's how planned out it was in the parts that joan was involved in right once goldine was on her own clearly there was shit not planned out right she didn't know what to do So on to the trial, both women initially pled not guilty, Goldine by reason of insanity. She said that Joan cast a spell over her and she was powerless. I mean, you still pulled the trigger. I don't, I'm not saying that she's a hundred percent innocent in this because she pulled the trigger, but Mm -hmm. she was probably hugely influenced. 
I think this spell that was cast over her was actually brainwashing, but she didn't know it was brainwashing. She also said that she was easily influenced by Joan. It was implied that Goldine was in love with Joan and was trying to save her from this quote-unquote evil person she made Peter out to be. So, yeah, it definitely sounds like brainwashing. Yeah. The women then eventually changed their plea, but Joan refused to speak. Hmm. Sketchy. Yeah, I... That could go either way as well, because she could be like, I don't need to say anything kind of thing, or I'm going to keep my mouth shut, or her lawyers could have told her to keep her mouth shut. It's like the opposite of what you think she would do. Right. Someone like a Ted Bundy who wants to represent themselves. My God. You know, that's what I would expect from Joan. Yeah. Just a side note, the women had gone through examinations with psychiatrists before court. This is a quote from truecrimeedition.com, and my blood is literally boiling about to read it. Literally fucking disgusting. Quote, the court believed that homosexuality may have made them unfit to stand trial. What the actual fuck is that? Like I said earlier, like, we've come a long way. We're not where we should be. But, like, that is just so beyond fucked up. And I can't even believe that it wasn't even that long ago that homosexuality was talked about like that. I'm sorry. The person who made that decision in court, whether it be psychiatrists, the judge, him or herself, the prosecutor, the defense, that person should be put on fucking trial disgusting because how are you trying to say that that is making someone unfit and or potentially that that's someone's reason of insanity type thing like i don't understand that at all that's neither doesn't make any fucking sense there's no relation to that in the case at all no sickening The women were charged with first-degree murder, but March 11th, 1958, this was reduced to second-degree murder after making a plea deal right before their trial started. Ugh. I don't understand that because clearly this entire thing was fucking premeditated. How, how, like what, how was it even allowed to be changed? Right. What kind of plea deal could these women have possibly made to make the details of the case change from being planned to not being planned? Right. Like, how do you change that? That's a huge part of it. Yeah. And because of this, they were sentenced five to life in prison each. Are you fucking kidding me? Literally, the minimum sentence one of them could have gotten was five years for murdering Peter Fabiano. I don't understand. That is so beyond me. I don't understand. What's really crazy about all this, too, is we are not even sure how much time they each ended up serving. There is no information on that anywhere. Which is probably exactly what they wanted. Yes. so these women could have spent life in prison. These women could have spent five years in prison. Who knows? Wow. In court, the women displayed very contrasting demeanors. 
Goldine constantly wept and was very remorseful. Joan, she was described as this by the vintagewomenmagazine.com. Quote, either hollow-eyed and stone-faced or smiling nonchalantly. That is so fucking creepy. Yeah, and a lot of the articles described her as just smiling. Even when she was sentenced and left the courtroom, she was just smiling. Like, who the fuck was this woman? That's the real question here. Because honestly, I feel like she's never who she said. Like, was she even Joan? Right. I don't think so. That is so scary. She, like, literally came in like a fucking tornado and just ruined their lives. She could have literally been on the run from Lithuania from murders she committed there. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, was she even Joan? Mm Mm-hmm. So a little bit of aftermath. Rumors swirled regarding the relationships of the three women. One even suggested that Betty was the mastermind behind the murder plot. Ugh. Which is really sad if she truly had no involvement. Yeah. Betty sold the salons after Peter died. In 1966, she remarried. And in 1999, she died in Palm Desert, California at 81 years old. This is strange, though, as pointed out in an article. It would have made her 39 when Peter died, not 36 as many believed she had been. What the heck? So, I don't know if she just lied about her age. I feel like that was kind of common back then. Yeah, and there was no way to really prove that back then, or if there was just a misunderstanding somewhere, or if she intentionally gave a different age or not. But... Yeah, if she was 81 years old when she died, that means she was actually 39 when Peter died. Goldine had remained in the L.A. area after her release, so she was released at some point. And in 1998, she died in Los Angeles. Ugh. This whole story is just so sad, and I wish there was just more information about everything because so much got lost because of the time frame. Yeah, As it usually does, which is awful. Yeah. There should have been some kind of better record keeping, I guess, with everything or I don't know. Yeah. And this is the creepiest part of the whole thing, aside from the murder of Peter, obviously. It is unknown what happened to Joan following her sentencing, as there was pretty much no trace of her life after 1957. Okay. I'm Where freaked out. the fuck is she? Does anyone know? Where's Joan? What if Joan was one of our grandmothers and we didn't even know it? <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Does anyone know any grandmas named Joan? <laughs> no, I'm sure she would have changed her name by now. Maybe. I do not like that one bit. And like her kid, like or Betty's kids. Like I wonder if they're out there wondering all this shit too. Yeah, but at this point, Joan definitely has passed, Yeah. so there's no way she's going to come after us. I've literally thought about that. I'm like, wait, 1957, she was this many years old. She can't come after us. (laughs) But she definitely had something really fucking strange going on in her life, and it's very terrifying that she murdered this man 
got sentenced to lesser sentence, had no remorse for it, plotted this entire thing, came from a life we didn't even know of beforehand, and then when she was released, which whenever the fuck that was, she could have just moved on and restarted her life all over again because clearly she did it before. Right. That's what I'm not understanding. Like, how was there zero record of her? I feel like it was... uh, There was an Unsolved Mystery episode with a similar kind of situation. I don't remember what the case was at this point, but it was basically like because of the way things were done back in the day, you could easily falsify information or change information and not have accurate record keeping of it. Yeah, I feel like it was super easy to change your identity. Like we've learned in multiple cases where people have changed their identity and were able to falsify like their birthplace or their birth records. It's just crazy. Right. Or obtain a license with a name on it that isn't theirs. Yeah. Like, I thank think God that's this ex- shit doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> I know. And I think that's exactly what she did. Yeah. And who knows for what reason. Right. She could have been a fucking serial killer. Right. That's what I'm wondering. Like, were there more things in Lithuania around this time that she could have done? I don't know. I know. Well, apparently before she had resided in California and applied for that job with the Fabianos, she was traveling a lot back and forth to Hawaii at some point. So what was she doing there? I don't know. The whole thing is fucking creepy and I'm scared. Thank God she's not alive anymore. she's she's very a very scary woman yeah i'm just so sad peter had to cross paths with her and that this woman literally took the life of someone who was so kind to try to give her a job right i know and i feel like like i said joan just came in and was like a tornado and ran through their lives and left like a horrible wake in her path it was just it's crazy (sighs) do you have anything else you want to add I don't think so I don't think I have anything else how about you no I think we can get right into our spiel so you can find on Facebook at crime cults and coffee is where we post our weekly resources from every episode and photos that we post from every episode as well And then our Instagram is Crime Cults and Coffee as well. And that is where we post photos of the cases. We also do the coffees that we have reviewed. And in our link tree in our bio is showing all of our listening platforms that you can hear our podcast on. If you want to give a case suggestion like this one or a listener story, you can reach out to us. DM us at Crime Colts and Coffee on Instagram or send us an email at Crime Colts and Coffee at gmail.com. You can also leave us a rating and review if you like our podcast. That's the best way you can show you love us and want us to keep doing this. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can do it right there. If not, on any other listening platform of your choice, you can like, you can follow, you can subscribe. And that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. Cool. And actually, there is something I wanted to mention. Apparently, for anyone who's been trying to order stuff from us for God knows how long, there was an issue somehow with our payment on the website. 
and being able to pay through PayPal or Venmo or whatnot. And it is now resolved, I believe. So if you have been trying to purchase anything from us, tanks, teas, coffee mugs, which we still have, you can now access that at riotbabe.com. There's a crime cults and coffee section. And make sure to check it out as well, because by the time you hear this episode, maybe we'll have some new merch for you. It's in the works right now, and it's fucking cool. Yeah, so if not this week, possibly the next. We are hoping it comes out during spooky season. Mm-hmm. And again, it's going to be limited, just like our tanks. So pick them up while you can. Yeah, and I just wanted to point that out because I know we had a few people within the same week saying they couldn't buy anything from from our podcast, and I hope that's not been going on when people haven't been telling us. Oh my god, that's like a nightmare. That is my straight up fear because the website host did not make me aware of anything. So yeah, that's great. Well, it's fixed now. We're good. Maybe it was just during the last week of retrograde that that happened. Yeah, they were like, screw you guys. (laughs) Aside from that, that's that. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook